On this prequel episode, we've got our Ferdinand fan poll follow-up. We're learning about Alexander Dumas and previewing The Three Musketeers. Hello and welcome back to This Film is Lit, the podcast where we talk about movies that are based on books. We have every one of our normal prequel segments, including a pretty lengthy exploration into uh, Alexander Dumas, what his whole deal is, as well as uh, some other good stuff. So we're going to get right into it with our patron shoutouts. I put up with you because your father and mother were our finest patrons, that's why. We have one new patron this week. At the $5 Hugo Award winning level, getting access to our bonus content, our bonus episodes, and that is Charlene Lynette. Thank you, Charlene. We appreciate it. Truly hope you enjoy that bonus content. And as always, we have to thank our Academy Award winning patrons, and they are Matilde, Steve from Arizona, Paul, Kat Insminger, Jeff Niederhofer, Teresa Schwartz, Ian from Wine Country, Winchester's Forever, Kelly Napier, Gray Hightower, Eli Young, Scratch, Just Scratch, Shelby's reading all the books in November, That Darn Skag, V Frank, and Alina Starkov. Thank you all very much. We appreciate it. You're the best. Katie, let's see what the people had to say about Ferdinand. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. All right. Well, on Patreon, we had one vote for the book and one for the movie. Mm -hmm. uh, no comments on Patreon yeah. this time. Uh, Facebook, similarly, we had one vote for the book, uh, none for the movie. No comments on Facebook this time either. On Twitter, we did have some comments. Um, we had seven votes for the book, two for the movie, and one listener who could not decide over on Twitter. Kelly Napier said... As a parent, I'm going to stand up for the movie here. It's not a good movie, but it is a good distraction tool. Sure. <laughs> you know, like most movies. Maybe not most. I don't know. I don't have kids. It's probably not true, but like most kids movies, probably pretty good distraction tools. But yeah, uh, I would say it's it's not like it's not good. Well, I don't know. <laughs> our our opinions have been well yeah, well documented well but uh i don't know if i would say it's not a good movie yeah i guess i would i don't know never mind i don't even know what i'm saying you're right it's not a good movie but if it works for that purpose then it's worth its weight in gold i'm sure uh, our other comment on twitter was from shelby will go down with this ship we'll go down with this yeah <laughs> And Shelby said, the movie's flawed, but I think the strongest moments could really resonate with a younger audience and develop a following if given the chance. I think the setup and the nature of the story could get them to think about the world around them in ways they might not have otherwise. And for me, that's a win. The annoying side characters are annoying, but I must have built up a tolerance for them in animated kids movies because I barely noticed. I also feel like the movie might have a broader audience than the book just by the nature of the mediums, and I'm glad it exists. For these reasons, I'm giving it to the movie. Fair enough. I do have, once we wrap up these comments, I have one more note I wanted to mention that I thought about after we finished recording. One more thought about <laughs> oh, this God, movie. Okay. Um, all right. Over on Instagram, we had four votes for the book and four for the movie. Uh, anal fracture 42 said <laughs> I love that that person always makes us read their name <laughs> love it um uh they said i do like the way ferdinand is animated 
Okay. Like the um, whole movie or the character specifically? I would assume they mean the animation style yeah. for the film, like the blue sky uh, style. Yeah, that's fine. Which, I'm going to be honest, it's not my favorite animation style. It, I, I have no um, strong feelings either way about it. I think it's totally fine for what it's doing, but it's nothing. Yeah, that, like, it, it's, it's its own thing. So, you know, you're into it. Cool. And Hannah Joseph um, said that she likes the cover of the book. Literally just wrote the just cover. The cover. Well, it was in funny. response to, because I post the stories and I say, which one do you like more? Tell us why. Oh, um, okay. So they responded the cover. Like which, they were which, answering yeah, your question. Yes, which I take to mean the cover of the book is better than the cover, like the poster art for there the you movie, go. which I would agree with. Yeah. My other thing that I thought about after that I kind of wish I had brought up while we were watching the movie is, you know, we talked about how the movie is kind of bereft of any actual meaningful <laughs> um, message or mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, it lacks teeth to actually commit to any of the kind of interesting uh, moral questions that it, it raises throughout the course of the film, other than one, which is that it commits uh, to its main core message of, uh, you know, be yourself. Don't let anybody change you or mm-hmm. not necessarily don't let anybody change, you, but like be yourself, be true to yourself, um, stand firm in your sort of, you know, beliefs. Your, your Eunice. Your Eunice. That's only a good message if you don't suck. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> I was like thinking about that and I'm like, you know, that's as, as messages go, that's kind of a terrible, it works in this because yeah. it's his, he, he's a pacifist and like a nice, like what he's staying true to is like not being violent right. and like, not like, uh, you know, um, being vengeful or like uh yeah violent or whatever and being uh into flowers and being like a chill guy like great if that's your true self that's a good thing to be true to i mean that that is a fair point <laughs> uh, be yourself as a platitude is often kind of held up but um there are a lot of people who should not be yeah, themselves. that's what I'm saying. That was my point. It's like, it's a great message if what you are is not bad. <laughs> Nazis shouldn't be themselves. Like, that, there's lots of people who shouldn't, you know, the message of, like, commit to your, your uh, who you are and, like, don't let people change you and blah, blah, blah is not necessarily a right. good thing. Like, it's kind of the same as, like, a stand up for what you believe in. Yeah. We're getting real dicey yeah. there. Yeah. What do you believe in? What do you in? believe in? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so that almost made me dislike it even more with that, that the single thing they like committed to. And again, I guess you could argue, to be fair, you could argue that the single thing they're committing to is like be yourself. And that because in the film, being, you know, staying true to himself is being like a pacifist is like is being a good thing that like the movie is maybe more like taking that angle than just the blanket statement. But it, I do think it kind of boils down to like you know, be true to yourself or whatever um, has like the message. And yeah, that message is only good if your true self is not bad. If it is, you should probably change. (laughs) You should work on becoming less of a bad person. I don't know. It's just, I was just thinking about it. I'm like, that message only works if who you are doesn't suck. So anyways, that was just the other thing. How did we end up on the voting here? Uh, the winner was the book with 13 votes to the movie seven plus our one listener who couldn't decide there you go all right fantastic uh it's time now 
Katie uh, spent the afternoon learning about 17th century France, and now you are too. <laughs> We're going to learn a little bit about Alexandra Dumas. No matter what anybody tells you, words and ideas can change the world. 18th century France, sorry. <laughs> no, 19th century France. I, I always just say like 1800s or 1900s yes. because I can't. No, I know remember. it, and I just I I, I never remember. I know it's one off, but I never remember which way off it is. It's one further. So 18th century is 1700s. It's always like the 18th century is you go back one, and that's the. Hundreds. Why are humans like this? Well, it's, it has to do with how we count. <laughs> Well, yeah, that's my point. Why are we like the this? The first century was the zeros. Why? <laughs> Blame Jesus. I don't know. <laughs> we got our whole thing banked or or whole or not Jesus, I guess. The the church or whatever, the early uh you know what? the Roman I will, I will gladly blame the, the church. Council of Nicaea or something. I don't know who whoever <laughs> organized the way we do. More it. than happy to blame either the church and or Rome. <laughs> um all right. Anyway, Alexandre Dumas was a French writer during the mid-1800s who was prolific across several genres. Uh, Dumas was the son of General uh, Thomas Alexandre Dumas, who was the son of the Marquis Alexandre Antoine Davy, David, David de la Palatéria. Palatéria. Marie Cassette Dumas. So a, a marquis and uh, Marie Cassette Dumas, an enslaved woman of Afro Caribbean ancestry. Hmm. Um, really not great stuff here. Yeah. It was really not, really not great stuff. Um, so those were his grandparents, uh, the person that we're talking about. Also, everybody in this segment has very similar names. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Um, so the Marquis, Alexander Dumas' grandfather, eventually sold Marie Cassette, his grandmother, um, and their two daughters that he also had with her. Okay. Um, but he brought Thomas Alexander... Alexander Dumas' father. Okay. Back to France, where he received his freedom automatically. Okay. Um, and was sent to a military academy. So at this point, they were in the state. He was in the states. When you say brought back, they were to in France, or they were somewhere Haiti, where I believe. Oh, they were somewhere where. Slavery did, was illegal, because yes. I believe at this yes. point in France this, it would yes. have been illegal. Um, I did not write down the notes on this, but I believe they, that he was born in Haiti. Okay. Um, and then sense. was brought back to France where, yes, slavery was illegal right. at the time. Yeah. So he was automatically a free man gotcha. when he got to France. Gotcha. That makes Okay. Um, but Alexander Dumas' father was born a slave. Yes. Okay. Um, now, Thomas Alexander was never made his father's heir. Um, but he did have an illustrious military career um, mm -hmm. and traveled in upper class and uh, aristocratic circles. Um, some of Dumas' historical novels of high adventure, um, including The Count of Monte Cristo and mm -hmm. The Three Musketeers, were based upon the life of his father. Interesting. His father was a swashbuckler? <laughs> kind of. <laughs> yeah. He was uh, like a big military hero. Oh, okay. Um, and because of his father's connections, Alexander Dumas was able to, um, when he got older, uh, work for Louis Philippe, the Duke of Orleans. 
Mm -hmm. um, who would go on to hold the title of King of the French, not King of France, King (laughs) King of of the the French. French. Um, This was following the Revolutionary War that saw the execution of Louis XVI, but before the revolution that led to the French Second Republic. But I'm not going down that rabbit hole during this segment because it's mess and i don't know enough french history for this because you know what when you think the french are done revolting guess what they're not there's nothing the french love more than a good revolt and god bless them for it (laughs) i had to look up a literal timeline (laughs) to figure out this segment um so the work that dumas did for louis philippe was writing magazine articles and plays Um, His first play, Henry II and His Courts, was produced in 1829 when he was 27 years old and it was met with acclaim. Mm -hmm. Everybody loved it. Uh, His second play, Christine, was equally popular and those successes gave him sufficient income to write full time. Like you do back Mm -hmm. in the day. Uh, In 1830, Dumas participated in the revolution, another one, um, that ousted Charles X um, and replaced him with Louis-Philippe, his former employer, King of the French, um, also called the Citizen King. He ruled for almost 20 years, and then there was another revolution, FYI. Um, Because this is all post the the famous one, right? Yes, this is all post like the big main one. The big one we all the the Les Mis one. Yes, the one. No, that the Les Mis one is not even that one. The Les Mis revolution is a later one. No, I thought the French. Oh, sorry. Yes, yes. Sorry, you're right. Yeah. Oh my god. The one that the one that everybody knows is the one with Louis the Sixteenth and Marie Antoinette. Yeah, and, and this in is like the late seventeen hundreds. Yes, think, this right? is yeah. far like far enough post that that we've come back around to maybe we'll have a monarchy again. I think again, I don't know enough about French history to to be any sort of. Um, no, it's and it's way too complicated. Yeah. So Les Mis is uh, in the early 1800s. So this would have been. Yeah, Les Mis is set in. I wait, man, I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> it, it's set in 1815. Yeah. So that's, that's prior to this. Yes. Not after this, but it is pr- post but it the is main French Revolution. The, the one, the, the, like, the one, the most famous yeah, one. the most famous one that everybody knows. Um, but we're not talking about <laughs> Les Mis right now. I don't ever want to talk about Les Mis on this show. Um, you may have to. One I day. don't want to. Okay. <laughs> I'll read it. I have no des- You can. You can do that. Um, okay, let's see. Where did I go? Uh, so uh, there's another revolution. They got rid of Charles X, uh, replaced him with Louis Philippe. Uh, the nation began to industrialize and an improving economy, uh, combined with the end of press censorship, made that a very rewarding time uh-huh. for Alexander Dumas, as one could imagine. Um, So after writing additional successful plays, Dumas switched to writing novels, most of which were published serially in newspapers. Um, Novels, for the most part in this time time period, were published serially, at least initially. Mm -hmm. Uh, His first serial novel was La Comtesse de Salisbury, Mm -hmm. Edward III. 
Not sure what's up with that title. I don't know anything about it. Uh, In 1838, he rewrote one of his plays as a successful serial novel, Le Capitaine Paul. (laughs) Paul. (laughs) Paul? I don't know if Paul in French would be pronounced without the L. I assume so. No, you say the L. It's just, I think, I'm pretty sure you say the L. It's just slightly different inflection. Mm -hmm. Um, He then founded a production studio. Uh, which was staffed with writers who turned out hundreds of stories, um, all subject to his personal direction, editing, and additions. Um, so basically, he started his own like ghost writing company. Yeah, and just churned it out. Yeah. Well, he became like the editor of like a yeah, like a periodical, but like but like a fiction. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Dumas' novels were so popular that they were soon translated into English and other languages. His writing earned him a lot of money, um, but he spent lavishly on women and sumptuous living, so he was usually broke. You know, <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> this next sentence, I'm going to read verbatim from Wikipedia because it might be my favorite thing I've ever read on Wikipedia. I say that like every three episodes, but uh-huh. I really love this one. Though married, in the tradition of Frenchmen of higher social class, Dumas had numerous affairs, allegedly as many as 40. There you go. Uh, While he and his wife, uh, actress Ida Ferrier, uh, had no children, Dumas fathered at least four illegitimate children, although some scholars put that number at seven. So at anywhere between four and seven illegitimate children. Fantastic. (laughs) I think this guy said sounds like he enjoyed his life. I mean, I'm just, yep. you know, did what he was. Yep. As Yuma wrote in a wide variety of genres, uh, he published a total of around a hundred thousand pages in his lifetime. He also made use of his uh, like worldly experience. He wrote travel books after taking journeys, and he often worked with collaborators such as the fencing master Augustine Grissier. Uh, so then uh, King Louis-Philippe, the king of the French, was ousted in what else? A, a revolt. revolt. <laughs> um, and Napoleon Bonaparte, uh, Louis, ah. Louis Napoleon Bonaparte, was elected president. Um, as Bonaparte disapproved of the author, Dumas fled to Brussels, um, which also may or may not have been an effort to escape his creditors. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I mean, honestly, I, I think I'd be more concerned about the creditors than <laughs> the newly elected president. But, well, you know, yeah, I don't know. I think um, both, both pose great, great, uh, <laughs> great considerations against your life for sure. Uh, he also lived for a time in Russia where his writings were enormously popular. Uh, Despite Dumas' uh, aristocratic background and his enormous personal success, um, he did have to deal with discrimination related to his mixed-race ancestry. Um, In 1843, he wrote a short novel, Georges, uh, that addressed some of the issues of race, the effects of colonialism. Um, His response to a man who insulted him about his partial African ancestry has become famous. Uh, Dumas said, quote, my father was a mulatto, my grandmother was a Negro, and my great-grandfather was a monkey. You see, sir, my family starts where yours ends. Damn. Got him. 
I'm going to be honest that I'm not 100% sure what the burn is, but it does sound like a sick burn. Well, so I assume he's saying, because at this point we're post um, Darwin, I think. Or are we post Darwin at yes, this point? Yes, so I believe, I'm, I'm not not I'm not 100% on the origin of species, was published in 1859. So, yeah, we're like, oh, wait. We're a little bit before that. Uh, no, you said eight, oh, 1870 is when he died. Yeah. So yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know when exactly this line comes from. I guess, I guess it depends. Um, but even then, we could still, even on the, I don't know if that may have been kicking around a little bit. I don't know exactly Probably. how it worked. Um, because otherwise, it might just be racist. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, but so the, the burn, at least to me, assuming it's 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 in relation to knowing that we are descended from apes when he's saying my great grandfather was a monkey he's saying like i'm descended from you know like we're i'm descended from apes but your family is still ape like uh. my family line begins where yours ends like you're you're still like you're still like Way unevolved, you're an ape. Uh -huh. you're like, okay, that's, that makes sense. That is a sick burn. It's a sick burn, but it also could be like again, it's at the time period. It, it's a context I don't even know, but yeah, well, like, it's context, time period. I don't know. Yeah, whatever. I'm just saying. I, but it is. Yeah, I I assume that's what he was going for there. But it is like a a famous yes quote from him. Um, so, on the 5th of December of 1870, Dumas died at the age of 68 of natural causes, possibly a heart attack. Um, changing literary fashions had decreased his popularity, but his works underwent a critical revival and celebration in the late 20th century. In 2002, for the bicenten bicentenary? Bicentenary. Bicentenary? Tenary, I don't know. Um, of Dumas' birth, uh, French president uh, Jacques Chirac uh, held a ceremony honoring the author by having his ashes re-interned at the mausoleum of the Pantheon in, of Paris, where many French luminaries are buried. Uh, this garnered kind of mixed reactions. Uh, he had been buried in his hometown, and his memoirs do state his wishes to be buried there. Um, others argued that he deserved to be enshrined alongside fellow great authors such as Victor Hugo and Emily Emile Zola. Uh, his novels have been translated into nearly 100 languages. Uh, in addition, they have inspired more than 200 motion pictures. Uh, he's one of the most widely read French authors, possibly one of the most widely read authors, period, in written history. Mm -hmm. So... There you go. He is, uh, in fact, yeah, very well known, very popular, mm -hmm. and uh, I've never read any of this. <laughs> <laughs> also, though, if you've never, like, Googled a picture of him, please do, because in almost every portrait and photo of him that exists, he has this absolutely delightful smirk on his face, just like... And I know something you don't know, smirk, and it's delightful. Fun. Fun, fun, fun. All right, well, let's learn a little bit more about maybe his most famous work, The Three Musketeers. Now available to own on video cassette.
You're under arrest. Five of them, three of us. Hardly seems fair. Maybe we should give him a chance to surrender. Excuse me, but there's four of us. Athos, Porthos, and Aramis. Hello. Nice to meet you again. Pleasure. Now, we are prepared to resist you. Walt Disney Pictures presents the story of the greatest heroes who ever lived. Long live the Musketeers! The Three Musketeers is a French historical adventure novel written in 1844 by Alexandre Dumas. It is in the swashbuckler genre, which features heroic chivalrous swordsmen who fight for justice. Uh, Dumas presents his novel as one of a series of recovered manuscripts, um, turning the origins of his romance into a little drama of its own. In the preface to the novel, he tells of being inspired by a scene in the Memoirs de Monsieur d'Artagnan, a historical novel by Gatien de uh, Courtils de Sandra, which Dumas discovered during his research for his history of... Louis the Fourteenth. So, is it based on a real thing or a not real thing? I'm confused. <laughs> it's um. So he said he was inspired by a scene in the memoir in the memoirs of the Monsieur d'Artagnan, a historical novel. Is that was that a true story? Was that a real novel? This isn't like a made. This isn't like a Princess Bride thing, is it? That's my conf- that's what I was confused about. Just because you said he turned the origins of his romance into a little drama of its own, and I was confused if maybe you were implying it was like a so Princess Bride style thing, it's, where it's not real. It's a little bit of both. Okay. Um. So the memoir by uh Cortez de Sandra. Yeah. Is an already semi-fictionalized memoir okay of a famous person okay who did exist okay and then Dumas took that and was like I can make something really good out okay. of this that all makes sense so it's it's uh, inspired by a, uh, uh, <laughs> inspired by the something that was based on a true story Yes. <laughs> there you go. Okay. Uh, the novel has two sequels, uh, 20 Years After and The Vicomte de Regalon, Reg- <laughs> uh, 10 years later. Uh, these three novels are collectively referred to as the D'Artagnan romances after the main character. Okay. The Three Musketeers was written in collaboration with Auguste Manquette, who also worked with Dumas on its sequels, as well as The Count of Monte Cristo. Uh, Manquette would suggest plot outlines after doing historical research. Dumas would then expand the plot, remove some characters, uh, put in new ones, basically give the story his unmistakable flavor and style. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Three Musketeers was first published in serial form in the newspaper Le Secle between March and July of 1844. Although it is primarily a historical and an adventure novel, Dumas frequently portrays various injustices, abuses, and absurdities of the old regime, uh, which gives the novel an additional political significance at the time of its publication when the debate in France between 
uh, being a republic and being a monarchy was still quite fierce. Uh, the novel was translated into three English versions by 1846. One of these, done by William Barrow, was fairly faithful to the original, but to conform to 19th century English standards, removed all of the explicit and many of the implicit references to sexuality, hmm. uh, adversely affecting the readability of several <laughs> scenes. There you go. <laughs> Um, aside from the 1993 film that we'll be discussing, the novel has also been adapted yeah. <laughs> into nearly 40 other films, both live action and animated, the earliest in 1903 and the most recent in 2022. There was a British oh, okay. something or I other. Like, I don't remember hearing about this. Um, it's also been adapted for television, both live action and animation, as well as for the stage, as both video and board games, as a web series, as various audio dramas, and in comic form. Um, all this not even getting into works retelling the story, works functioning as sequels or prequels, works inspired by the story, works featuring descendants of the main characters, works parodying the story, works referencing the story, etc., 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 and so forth. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. no, it's a very, very popular story. Uh, I'm surprised it took us this long to get to it. All right, speaking of the film versions, let's learn a little bit more about the 1993 film, The Three Musketeers. It was a time when danger was irresistible. Did I miss anyone? King's life is in danger. We have work to do. 1,000 gold pieces on each of their heads, dead or alive. I prefer... Adventure was everywhere. I hope we're not interrupting. Kill those musketeers. Champagne? We're in the middle of a chase, Porthos. And friendship. You're right. Something red. Was the greatest weapon of all. The Three Musketeers is a 1993 film directed by Stephen Herrick, uh, known for Critters. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, Mr. Holland's Opus, The Mighty Ducks, and the live-action 101 Dalmatians, among mm. other things. It was written by David Lowry, who's known for Lakeview Terrace, Passenger 57, Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, The Intruder, and Obsessed. The film stars Charlie Sheen, Kiefer Sutherland, Chris O'Donnell, Oliver Platt, Tim Curry, Rebecca De Mornay, Gabrielle Anwar, Paul McGann, Julie Delphi, and Bob Anderson, who is uncredited as the king's fencing instructor but seriously if you like a sword fight from the last 50 years in cinema this dude is probably responsible for it i'm going to just very briefly give you a rundown of some movies that this guy was the sword master on mm. just <laughs> star wars highlander the princess bride this movie the mask of zorro the legend of zorro all of the Lord of the Rings movies and the Pirates of the Caribbean Curse of the Black Pearl. <laughs> when you're the goat, you're the goat. <laughs> I can't. I mean, look, there are other sword fights in movies, but that covers that like covers arguably like, the lion's share of the best sword fights. Like in if movies. I were to make just off the top of my head, a top five list of yes. sword fights in movies. That's they're all from that list. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Absolutely. Uh, and he, he also did stunts a lot of times, but uh, this one he is in the film uh, briefly as a uh, fencing instructor. So 
The film has a 30% on Rotten Tomatoes, a 43 on Metacritic, and a 6.3 out of 10 on IMDb. It made $111 million against a budget of $30 million. So, getting into some of the production notes... In 1992, uh, Walt uh, Walt Disney Pictures, Columbia Pictures, and Tristar, Tristar were all trying to develop the Three Musketeers at the same time, an adaptation for their own studio all at the same time. Do you mean to tell me that they were having an arms race for the Three Musketeers? A three-way arms race for the Three Musketeers, <laughs> yes. That's amazing. Disney purchased a screenplay for the film from David Lowry for $650,000, after he had already been hired to write that screenplay for Columbia. That's juicy. (laughs) And Columbia producer Brad Wyman would later accuse Disney of stealing concepts which were its intellectual property. The matter was settled out of court. (laughs) Uh, And the Columbia film uh, production was canceled. The TriStar adaptation was was to be written by Joel Gross and directed by Jeremiah S. Chechik and was to be a more adult-oriented and faithful adaptation of the story than the Disney version, which is more of like a fun kids Mm -hmm. movie kind of deal. The TriStar version at one point had Johnny Depp attached as, uh, I believe, D'Artagnan as like the leader or whatever, but the film would ultimately never go into production. Mm. My main notes about this are all potential casting things because I they're very fun to me. But before we get to those, <laughs> the other notes, uh, two notes I had uh, after initially. Oh, wait, hold on. Um, Kiefer Sutherland, Chris O'Donnell and Oliver Platt. Uh, so three of our four because there's four spoilers. There's four musketeers, <laughs> even though it's called the three musketeers. Kiefer Sutherland, Chris O'Donnell and Oliver Platt all endured six weeks of fencing and horse riding lessons, but Charlie Sheen ended up missing that because he was still filming Hot Shots Part 2. So he did not get the rest of the training. And supposedly what? I'm sorry. Oh, Are you to tell me that Charlie Sheen did not get any fencing training for well, this movie? supposedly on one of the other things that I read on, on IMDb or something accompanying this fact was a sub a sub fact <laughs> that said and in a lot of the fight scenes in the movie it shows because they have charlie sheen just like fist fight people instead. Oh i don't know if that's true or what to what extent that's true but that is a, supposedly uh somebody was saying that we'll have to keep an eye out so keep an eye out if charlie sheen is not doing as much fencing <laughs> like as the others bringing his fists to a sword yeah, fight yeah um uh, a couple more. Uh, initially, after settling on Berendov Studios in Prague, the uh, film production actually ended up moving to Vienna because the local government there offered them $2 million to film, and principal photography began on April 26, 1993. And the last little note about production stuff before we get to the casting stuff. The dungeon scenes in the film were filmed at Siegrat, Austria, which is an old mine that flooded in the early 1900s and was later used by the Nazis during World War II to conduct military research. Apparently, the site is now open to the public and is famous for its underground lake. Uh, The scene decoration of one of the prison cells, as well as the Dragon Head boat, are still kept intact, and you can visit and go see them. Wow. Uh, Whenever this note was written, which who knows. Uh, All right, casting, though. Very fun stuff. Charlie Sheen was originally sought for the role of Porthos before he ended up being cast as Aramis. And Brendan Fraser was the first choice for the role of D'Artagnan. Brad Pitt and Stephen Dorff also turned down the role of D'Artagnan, which would ultimately go to Chris O'Donnell. I could see Brendan Fraser as D'Artagnan. Yes, all of those would be better choices than Chris O'Donnell, <laughs> unfortunately. I don't even dislike Chris O'Donnell that much, but he is not 
amazing in anything I've ever seen him in. <laughs> Other people that were considered for parts in the film, William Baldwin, Billy Baldwin, Jean-Claude Van Damme, mm-hmm. Al Pacino, okay. Johnny Depp, who we mentioned, mm-hmm. Carrie Elwes. That makes sense. Robert Downey Jr. and Gary Oldman. I assume Gary Oldman probably for a villain, maybe. Yeah, maybe. I could see him playing Tim Curry's part, potentially. Um, but the rest of those, I assume, were mostly all for uh, our protagonists. Yeah. Um, and then finally, uh, the other person considered for the role of Milady de Winter... Uh, who ended up dropping out was Winona Ryder. Uh, that I think that that part eventually went to Rebecca De Mornay. But yeah, originally Winona Ryder was uh, potentially going to be in that role. Uh, also, so the TriStar production that was in uh, go moving forward at the same time that ultimately never went anywhere was rumored to be going to also cast Kiefer Sutherland and Oliver Platt in the film. Also. <laughs> I read a thing and I was like, that doesn't even make any sense. What? I don't even know if it was in the same roles or different roles. <laughs> but there was one note on like Wikipedia. It was like, in at one point during production, TriStar sought Kiefer Sutherland and Oliver Platt for roles in their film as well as even though they were already starring in the Disney version. So I was like, okay, that's weird. It's very strange. Oh, I don't know what's going on. Uh, there's a reason that never happened, I assume. But anyways. Uh, before we wrap up, we wanted to remind you, you can do this. Oh, no, no, I have, I have two more notes. Sorry, I almost forgot. Oh. I had a couple more uh, addendums that I forgot to put in my notes. One, uh, there's a song that was written specifically for this movie that plays in the end credits, which is a banger. I love it. It's called <laughs> All for Love. Oh, my God. <laughs> written by Brian Adams. Performed by Brian Adams, Rod Stewart, and Sting. <laughs> As, like, a Three Musketeers singing Troop. Oh man. It's a great one. I liked that song as a child. I liked this movie when I was a little kid. Again, I don't remember if it's any good. Um, so apparently this movie pulled really well with advanced audiences. Audiences gave a, a cinema score of an A minus, which is pretty high. Hmm. And Disney hyped it up that the test screenings for the film were the most positive response that it had ever received from an audience. <laughs> However, after release, it was widely panned by critics and audiences alike. But getting into some critic uh, actual reviews here, Leonard Malton uh, christened this version Young Swords because it reunited Charlie Sheen and Kiefer Sutherland, who are both in Young Guns together. Uh, Janet Maslin of the New York Times described the movie as, quote, conceived, frankly, as a product complete with hit to be theme song over the closing credits. This adventure film cares less about storytelling than about keeping the Musketeers feathered hats on straight whenever they go galloping. And Michael Wilmington of the Chicago Tribune wrote, quote, the new Walt Disney version of the Three Musketeers, plushy mounted but ineptly written and cast, gallops along like a gargantuan tutti frutti wagon running amok. I don't know what that means. Oh, I'm storing that one away for use later. <laughs> a gargantuan, gargantuan tutti fruity wagon, wagon running, running amok. amok. I'm worried that, that that's like a weird swipe and calling it gay or something. Like being like, yeah, it could it be. Could, it's it 93, could be. so that might be like a weird homophobic swipe. I don't know, but <laughs> anyways. Uh, as always, you can do us a giant favor by heading over to patreon.com slash this film. Let's support us there for a few bucks a month. Five bucks and up, you get access to our bonus content, including uh, the episode we're going to record here very shortly and put out, which is about Labyrinth. We just watched that last night. Very fun to rewatch that. I hadn't seen it in years, but uh, boy, 
So many memories came flooding back from that one. We'll be talking about that here shortly. You can also do us a giant favor by heading over to all our social media platforms. Give us a like, give us a follow, interact. We'd love to hear from you. If you support us on Patreon at the $15 and up level, you get access to priority recommendations, which this one was from our uh, illustrious patron. Ian from Wine Country. Thank you, Ian from Wine Country. Very excited to talk about The Three Musketeers. Katie, where can people watch it? Well, as always, you can check with your local library uh, or a local video store if you still have one. If not, you can stream it with a subscription on Disney+. Plus. It is a Disney film, so there you go. Or you can rent it for around three to four bucks from Apple TV, Amazon, YouTube, Vudu, Redbox, DirecTV, or AMC Theaters On Demand. Fantastic. I'm excited to watch this because this is I have a feeling this is going to be one of those movies that my brain forgot existed. But yeah. then I realized, oh, no, I watched this movie a dozen times <laughs> when I was six years old or whatever. You know what I mean? I, I have a feeling that's what this is going to be because... Um, I know I remember as soon as we saw I, I it's one of those I did, forgot it existed. And then as soon as I looked at it, I was like, oh, yeah, I, I saw this movie quite a, quite a few times. I remember all of these people. I remember I remember this movie. I just don't remember anything about it because <laughs> I saw it when I was six years old or whatever. Yeah. I've never seen it. Um, so as soon as I'm done with the 700 page novel, <laughs> I'm sure it will be very fun to watch. Uh, very, I mean, comparison to getting through uh, that novel, it's going to be a breeze. Let me tell you. I, I actually have enjoyed yeah. what I have read. No, I'm sure it's good. Novel it's just, it's a lot. It's a, yeah, um, yeah it, it is a lot. Yeah, doesn't mean it's not good. It's just a lot. Come back in one week's time. We're talking about give or take a few days we'll see how long how the reading goes but roughly one week's time uh we'll be talking about the three musketeers until that time guys gals non-binary pals and everybody else keep reading books keep watching movies and, and keep, keep being awesome, awesome.